Amen. It's good for us to be together today. Been looking forward to sharing this time with you. Hope you have a good and safe Memorial Day weekend. And again, we remember and give thanks for all those who have served the citizens of this country. Uh, this, is, this weekend is about more than just grilling out and being with family. So let's, let's be sure that we, we remember that. Since my childhood, my, my favorite team has been the St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, my favorite player on the St. Louis Cardinals is their Hall of Fame shortstop, Ozzie Smith. Ozzie Smith was referred to as the Wizard of Oz, primarily for his uh, defensive prowess. He wasn't much of a, of a power hitter, per se. But you can imagine how excited I was. I was about 11 years old and uh, had an opportunity to go and see my first Major League Baseball game in St. Louis as the Cardinals played the San Francisco Giants there at Bush Stadium. I had a cousin who lived in St. Louis at the time, and she and her husband actually had season tickets. So they were seated about 10 rows back from home plate. Their seat was directly across the aisle from the place where the Cardinals manager's wife sat, who for me, that was, she was like a celebrity, okay? So you can just imagine how excited I was to be able to go and see this game. We had great seats, and it was a great ball game. Uh, in the bottom of the 11th inning, with the score tied 2-2, uh, two to two, Ozzie Smith, my hero, hit a game-winning walk-off home run to win the game for the Cardinals, and I was just ecstatic. I thought, this is how every major league game ends. You know, you get to see your hero hit the home run to win the game. So, uh, you know, the, the stadium just goes, goes wild, and there, there are fireworks that go off in the, uh, in the sky, and it was just this wonderful, wonderful moment. And so a few years ago, what I decided to do, I did a little bit of internet researching, and, and I wanted to, to find the box score of that game. I wanted to print out the box score of that game, maybe put together like a little shadow box and put it in my office, or, you know, if I ever had the chance to maybe meet Ozzie Smith and get his autograph, I might ask him to sign that, uh, you know, box score and tell him I was at the game. So I started doing all this research, and, uh, and come to find out, after doing all the research, I found out I was wrong. I found out after doing this research that Ozzie Smith, my hero, never hit a walk-off home run in the regular season. Now, he hit a, a, a pretty historic home run in the playoffs to end a game. If you're a Cardinal fan, you know what I'm talking about. But that was a few years before this. In fact, I, I did all this research, and, and come to find out, it wasn't Ozzie Smith who hit that game-winning home, game home run at all. In fact, it was another Cardinals player, a player by the name of Jose Akendo, who is way less well-known <laughs> in baseball history. It wasn't Ozzie Smith at all who hit that home run. It was the Cardinals' second baseman. Somehow or other, in my memory as a child, I, I retrofitted you know, the story, but, but I, I took the hero of the story out and actually inserted my own hero, I guess, to make the a, a, a story that I wanted to hear. I got all the other details right. It was the bottom of the 11th, and it was, you know, the score, and it was against the Giants, but I just took the one critical piece of that, the person who actually hit the home run, I substituted him out and put my hero in there instead. And what I had done is I had deceived myself to the point that I actually believed a distorted reality. Has that ever happened to you? Today, as, as we uh, go through our, our next entry in this series, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the distorted realities that we live with. Now, this was a pretty easy distorted reality to uncover. One visit to baseballreference.com, and I pulled it right up, and I realized my, my warm, fuzzy memory was actually not as warm or fuzzy as I remembered it. 
But what about some of the more dangerous ways in which, in which we lie to ourselves? Today we're going to continue this series called Clean Living. And we're going to talk about the danger of self-deception. That'll be the focal point of our, our time together. As we get started, let me just make you aware of this. Those of you who are seated kind of on the inside here uh, of, of the pew and the aisle, you'll see at the end of each aisle a little study guide that we've worked up. If you can reach over and grab those if you haven't already noticed them, uh, hopefully we have enough for everybody kind of on your, on your aisle. If not, maybe pass them back. We'll be sure that we distribute these as best we can. This is just a little resource that, that we worked up this week. Uh, this is a little resource. We tried to make it, uh, you know, small enough to slide inside your Bible. Maybe you can keep it inside your Bible there this summer. But we wanted to give you a space where, where you could take notes, a place where you could write down maybe some questions. Maybe we'll uncover a passage of Scripture that, that is really meaningful to you and you want to jot down a thought or you want to go back and study that a little bit later. Uh, if you're a, a fill-in-the-blank kind of person, we've got you covered this summer too. There's some, some blanks that you can fill in on every sermon, so we've got that uh, going on as well, but we just wanted to, to put this in your hand just as a resource so that, again, during this time of, of reflection, this time of Bible study, that maybe you could write down a few thoughts that will encourage you in your devotional life this summer as we think about what it means for us to live these kinds of lives that the Lord calls us to. So back to this idea of self-deception, okay? Self-deception is one of, those, one of those areas, it's one of those toxic influences that really we all need to be on guard against, Right? Because we all have certain blind spots. We are all guilty of this from time to time. Remembering what we want to remember. Seeing things the way we want to see them. Viewing things through a distorted lens, which leads us to a distorted kind of reality. So you can probably think of a time in your own life. You have a similar experience to the story that, that I just shared. Maybe there was a time where you were convinced that your memory of something, you, you were convinced that this happened, but... Only come to find out that the, the other people who were there, other family members say, no, it's not exactly the way it went. It was instead, it was more, you know, like this. Maybe you have a, a, an example that comes to mind for you of a time when you even didn't, you didn't even mean to, but you were deceiving yourself and, and, and lying to yourself and the danger that comes from that. Well, did you know that the Bible affirms this? The Bible tells us that, that we are prone to this kind of thing. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, this is what God says through that prophet, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the human heart is deceitful above all things. The human heart, according to God, he says the human heart is deceitful above all things. And so we find ourselves immediately in this, in this place of contrast with our prevailing culture. Because a lot of times in our culture, what we hear is, you know, the, the best way to live your life is just to sort of follow your heart. You know, if you follow your heart, you follow those, those intrinsic desires and yearnings that you have, then you'll end up in this, in this space of, of bliss. You'll end up where you're supposed to be. It's just as simple as kind of listening to your heart and then following your heart. Well, actually, God's Word says that's not entirely true, that your, your heart and my heart, it's not always the most reliable guide. According to what, what God says here, the, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew scholars that kind of point things like this out, they say that this, that word deceitful. It means, it has another kind of connotation, it's used oftentimes to describe a path that is rocky or uneven. 
Okay, a, a path that's not true, that, you know, you better watch where you step here because you never know, you might end up twisting an ankle or you might fall off. It's, it's used to describe an uneven path that's not true. And what God's word is saying to us here is that my heart and your heart oftentimes can be that same sort of rocky terrain. That without even realizing it, our hearts can produce these toxins that will trip us up as we're trying to go along. And so God says right here up front in this series, we want to begin right here because it's, it's important for us to understand in this discussion of toxic influences that the human heart is a producer of some of those same toxins that we want to warn against. So that's why instead of saying, hey, you know, the best way to live your life is to follow your own heart, I hope we can point out instead what God's word says and, and, and the ways in which we ought to be going and the true voices we ought to be listening to. So that's, that's what God says through Jeremiah there in Jeremiah 17. But David in the Psalms affirms much the same idea. Look at this passage here from Psalm 36. This is what, God, uh, what, what David says here, what God says through David. An oracle is within my heart, David writes, concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. He says, there is no fear of God before his eyes. Now listen to this part. For in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much. To detect or hate his sin. According to what God says here, there is a danger. There is a wickedness associated with this kind of flattery. When we, when we flatter ourselves so much that we cannot detect or hate our own sin, there is wickedness, God says, that is alive in us. Because again, the human heart is deceitful. It can be a crooked path at times. So we need the guardrails of God and his word and godly accountability partners. You know, we need all of these things in our lives to keep us from following our hearts into our own ruin. So have you ever flattered yourself so much that you couldn't see your own blind spots? You know, maybe you thought like you were the next Michael Jordan. You were the next, you know, LeBron James. You thought you were God's gift to basketball. And when you're out there shooting baskets, you know, shooting basketball like on your own driveway, I mean, you've won like 12 straight NBA scoring titles. You know, you've, you've led your team to the championship in your driveway all the time. But then you go and you try out for the JV basketball team only to not make the cut. You know, that's flattering yourself so much. Man, I had a great jump shot when nobody's watching and I'm in my driveway. You know, or maybe you think like you have just this beautiful singing voice, right? Nobody's ever told you that because, you know, they're jealous, right? But you think you have this beautiful singing voice and you think that you are, you just are, are going to be able to like audition for, you know, this, this play or this performance, whatever, and only to find out like you don't, <laughs> you're not, you, you know, you sound more like those bad uh, audition tapes on uh, American Idol years ago. You know, you just, you don't kind of have, that's flattering yourself to a point where you can't see your blind spots, and everybody does that to a certain degree. We all kind of have that, and that's pretty benign, right? But what about, as the word says, flattering yourself to the point that you can't recognize your sin? It's a lot more serious, right? Way more serious than not understanding you don't have a jump shot anymore or you could never carry that tune in a bucket anyway, to not detect your own sin. That's what, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were guilty of that. You know, the Pharisees had deluded themselves so much that they couldn't recognize that they needed a Savior. They could not recognize who Jesus was. In fact, they had deluded themselves so much, they had flattered themselves so much 
that they didn't believe that they had sin in their lives. They couldn't see how their self-righteousness had become so sinful. So just like what David says, they're an example to us of those who are flattering themselves to the point they don't even recognize their own sin. They couldn't recognize the long-awaited Messiah. Here's kind of a, a bedrock principle that, that we'll focus on here today, okay? That seeing through a distorted lens causes us to believe a distorted truth, okay? Seeing through a distorted lens causes us to see and believe a distorted truth. So we're going to illustrate this a couple different ways. Uh, one, we've got this uh, mirror, you know, full-length mirror. I apologize. You guys have to stare at yourselves now all during worship. Uh, we have these full-length mirrors. We have these in our homes. You know, we, we look at, at this, and it kind of gives us a, a true reflection. Maybe we don't always want to see what's there, but the value here is that it gives me a true reflection. It helps me to see things that maybe I can't see otherwise. I know that this is true because I look in the mirror, okay? I look in the mirror, and I don't have as much hair as I used to, right? It's an important detail for me to know and recognize. And what hair I do have is not the same color that it used to be, Okay? But I can live with that because that's truth and that's reality. And it does me good to gaze in the mirror every now and then just to kind of see what's there. Okay? So that's, like, we understand the value there. Every one of us probably this morning as we were getting ready, hopefully at some point today you took a glance in the mirror. All right? If not, then, you know, that's a life skill. So uh, we have that going on there. And then on the other hand, all right, let me wheel this out. Nobody touch this when it's over because I don't want to have to buy Mr. Randy and Mr. Logan a new one. This is from our children's ministry hallway. If you've ever been down that hall before, you know we have these kinds of like distorted mirrors. They're called funhouse mirrors. You see these a lot of times like at the, at the carnival, at the fair, or whatever. So, so what makes these so um, appealing? What's, what's the draw there? Well, this kind of mirror, it'll take the picture, it'll take the image that we know to be true, Right? It'll take that image that we know to be true, and then it'll kind of stretch it out a little bit. It'll distort it just enough to kind of make it funny, make it silly. Sometimes the, the funhouse mirror, it'll stretch us out kind of this way, right? So we look really, really tall. Other funhouse mirrors, they stretch us out this way. You know, we, I like the one a lot better that stretches me out this way, you know? Nature has its own way of kind of stretching me this way, so I don't really need any help on that, imagining what that looks like. But the funhouse mirror, like the whole, the whole point, the fun, is that it takes... My, my image, but it distorts it just a little bit. It makes it just a little bit off enough to kind of look weird and silly. And so that's why they have them at carnivals, and that's why they have them in fun houses. And that's why we call them a fun house mirror. Okay, so here's the point. What would happen if I spent more time reflecting on the image I see in the fun house mirror? What if I spent all of my time reflecting on what I see here? Would there reach a certain point in time when I might really begin to believe that's how I look? Now, it might take a long time because a lot of us, we may spend a whole lot of time in front of this mirror. Maybe we're really well-versed in what we look like in reality, okay? But over time, the more I look at this distorted image, right, the more I'm going to believe the distorted truth that is reflected there. Now, you might think that's a little bit silly, you might think, oh, I would never gaze at myself in that mirror so long that I completely forget who I am and what I look like. But I want to tell you, I think this happens in our culture far more than we realize. And I'll illustrate that. 
I want to take a second here and just talk to our ladies, okay? So ladies, just kind of talk here for a second, all right? If, ladies, if you spend an inordinate amount of time viewing yourself through the distorted lens of womanhood that our culture props up to you, okay? If you spend so much time looking at yourself and looking at others through the distorted lens of womanhood that is presented to you by Hollywood, okay, you will eventually have a distorted view of yourself. You will eventually believe a distorted reality. You will. If you spend all of your time reflecting here and looking at yourself and comparing yourself to the person that you see on the cover of the magazine, Cosmopolitan, Teen Vogue, somewhere in between, whatever it is, okay? If you spend all of your time viewing yourself, seeing yourself through that lens, you will believe a distorted truth. Because much of our world, ladies, you don't need me to tell you this, much of our world, not everyone, but much of our world, values a woman based on her physical appearance. Now again, not everybody and not everywhere, but in our world, more often than not, a woman's value is linked to her physical appearance. And so you grow up in a world where all of these images are presented to you. And you grow up in a world where at a very young age you begin to look at the images that you see on the screens, the images that you see, again, from Hollywood and on the magazine covers. And it begins to distort and warp your view of your own beauty and yourself and the beauty of others around you. Because what happens is the more I look at myself through this distorted lens, you know what I do? I begin to obsess over every extra pound, over every skin blemish, over every perceived imperfection. And you will never be able to compete. You will never be able to measure up to the airbrushed image that you see presented before you. And what's worse, like maybe the worst thing in all of that, maybe worst of all, is that you begin then to ignore what God says about the way in which he made you, ladies. You will ignore the biblical truth, okay, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That gets distorted here when God is saying, I wish that you could see you the way I see you. To be fearfully and wonderfully made, to be made with fear and wonder, means that there is something holy and sacred about the way in which God created you. But you never get that if you continue to view yourself through that distorted lens. You will believe a distorted reality. That's how dangerous this is. So let's not believe that distorted reality, ladies. Let God tell you where your value lies. Listen to him, not the world. So that's for our ladies, okay? Guys, now it's our turn. And we're on the same topic here. We're not, we're not even going to shift gears. I just want to show you just with this one issue how this is applicable for all of us. So now, men, if you... If we only view women, okay, let's just stay there. If we only view the women in our lives through the distorted lens 
that our culture provides, if we only view women and the, the, the real women in our lives, if we only view women through that kind of distorted image, you know what we will do? We'll do the same thing. We will begin to believe a distorted reality. We'll begin to believe a distorted truth. We too will begin to look at the women in our lives and, and value them based on their beauty, their physical beauty. We will ascribe worth to them based on their physical attractiveness. That's what we will do because we will let that distorted image, we'll let that view kind of warp our minds and our hearts. And what happens in all of that, the, the, the danger in pornography, the dangerous lie that we feed ourselves through pornography, okay? The lie there is that it's a private sin. That's the lie. The lie is that it is a private sin. It's just something that happens kind of in the interior. It's, it's something that happens behind closed doors. No one, this is the popular kind of defense, okay? No one's getting hurt. So it can't be that wrong. That's the lie. And guys, I just want you to know, as, as, as we talk about this, and as we make our way through this series on toxic influences, we'll, we'll come back to this kind of topic, but it's important to just say it right up front. Whenever we buy into that distorted lens, when we put that distorted lens over our eyes regularly, we're putting that same distorted lens over our hearts and our souls, what happens is that we are doing so much harm, first to ourselves, to our hearts, and to our souls. And I don't even want to tell you about the, the pain that we are bringing into the lives of the real women that we are surrounded by. Who, frankly, are not going to be able to compete with that distorted, warped, plastic view of reality anyway. And then on top of that, on top of that, you just need to know if, if you're even dabbling in pornography in any, in any way. It's not just a private sin, and it never stays just behind closed doors because you are helping to support and prop up a multi-billion dollar industry that is built upon the backs of oppressed people. Girls and boys sold into sex trafficking. You're supporting that, whether you intend to or not. You are implicit in the perpetuation of that hedonistic industry. You go and search Chris Rock. Some of you are familiar with Chris Rock. He was formerly on Saturday Night Live, stand-up comedian. Forewarning, his material is, is very vile, so that I'm not giving an endorsement to go and listen to his stand-up routine. The reason I'm bringing him up, uh, he was in the news recently. His marriage of 16 years recently deteriorated. And Chris Rock has been very public in saying that one of the major contributing factors was his addiction to pornography. Chris Rock, funny man, says that his addiction to pornography so warped his view of other people that he could not even look people in the eye and carry on normal conversations with them. He said he couldn't do it because his view of others had been so warped because he was seeing through a distorted lens and it led him to believe in a distorted truth so if you want a, a definition of self-deception if we want to define that here right up front in this series it's right here self-deception is this it is seeing through that distorted lens that causes us to believe in a distorted truth 
Okay. So we get it. I understand. I hear what you're saying, Jason. That self-deception, it's a major problem. We're all sort of guilty of it in some ways. There's some pretty benign ways. There's some really, really serious ways. Okay. So the question is, okay, what do we do about it? How do we overcome this? I suspect that for many of us here today, I, I didn't have to make my case as strongly as I just did. As we start talking about this and the guilt begins to rise and we all sort of feel it, okay? So the question is, let's, let's shift. What, what do we do? How do we respond? Okay, what, what is this going to look like in a, in a healthy way? If we're trying to purge our lives, our lives of these toxic influences, what, is, what does health look like? Well, let's talk about that. The antidote to self-deception, overcoming self-deception, it's, it's this. Self-examination coupled with biblical action is the way that we overcome, the way that God leads us to victory in Christ. It's the way that happens over, over self-deception. It happens through self-examination and biblical action. So overcoming self-deception, it begins with self-examination, okay? That means we need to take a long look in the mirror, but not, not this one. You know, we, we spend a lot of time looking at this one. No, instead we need to look at the, at the real mirror of our hearts and our souls and our minds. And we need to be ready, we need to be aware, we need to be able to, to just be brutally honest with what we see there. So that means we're, we're examining everything, we're examining our hearts, we're looking at, at, at toxic behaviors, okay? So you ask yourself, what am I doing? What sort of actions am I taking part in that are just spiritually not healthy for me, that are, that are, that are taking me apart spiritually, that are weakening my spiritual life? You know, what sort of actions am I doing that that are taking me out of fellowship with others or out of communion uh, with God, taking my focus off of those eternal matters. Uh, we, we think about our toxic emotions that are present there. So again, you're thinking about fear and resentment and bitterness and anger and how all of those are conspiring to lead me further away from God or further away from my relationships with other people. Those are toxic things. That's what we're looking at as we reflect in the mirror. And then, like we touched on last week, we're searching for some of those toxic consumption patterns. So I'm looking at, at the media that I'm consuming. I'm looking at the, the music that I'm listening to or the, the, the movies I'm watching, the websites that I visit. And, and really, it's not even just that, but taking it a deeper level, we'll talk about this next week, but some of the toxic belief patterns, some of the beliefs that we hold on to that can be really, really toxic to us, all of that needs to be fair game as we look in the mirror and try and reflect on where we are spiritually and, and what we see in the reflection coming back to us. It's the same kind of reflection and self-examination that the same Jeremiah talked about in Lamentations chapter 3. Here, Jeremiah says, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Lamentations 3.40. So again, it's this whole idea of examining our ways, testing them, and then ultimately returning to the Lord. So that's how we get from, from self-examination into this biblical action. Jeremiah himself kind of points that out, right? He doesn't say, let us just examine our ways and test them. But no, there's this move, there's this repentance, there's this move toward God when he says, let us return then to the Lord. Uh, the antidote to self-deception includes biblical action. It's the same kind of thing that James talks about in James chapter 1. James himself uses this whole mirror uh, analogy, but he says that don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. 
He says there's a self-deception that comes if we think all we have to do is sit down. I just want to sit and listen to these words. I'm going to listen to somebody preach about all this. You know, Jason's got the verses on the slides. Yeah, I'm listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 it's not enough. There's self-deception even at work there. When you hear the verses about self-deception, what is required, James says, the last part, do what it says. So the key to overcoming self-deception, yes, it requires self-examination. That is hugely important, but only through combining self-reflection with biblical action This is God's way of leading us out of the well-worn path of self-deception that is active in our lives. Because again, our hearts are self-deception factories. However, as we think about this, as we we try and put into practice all this stuff, as you you think about self-examination and the biblical action that comes, if you start to do that, I think it's important to note note right here that uh, in all likelihood, your enemy will not go down without a fight. I mean, he's not just going to cede over that, that turf that he fought to win in your heart and in mine, right? No, he's, gonna, he's not going to go down without a fight. In fact, one of the things that he'll do most often is he will self-deceive. He will get us to deceiving ourselves to the point where we're actually working against the very thing that we want to happen. And you know what we call that? We call that denial. Denial and self-deception go hand in hand. And here's how, you know, again, so just think about this. Think about your own life. Think about where you find yourself. Have you ever, you ever used these kinds of statements? You know, the outright denial is just saying, you know, I don't have a problem. Somebody comes to you, maybe they see something in your life. It's a trusted person. It's a family member. It's a, a friend who goes back decades with you, and they come to you and they say, hey, I really need to talk. I see, you know, this going on in your life. And the, just outright denial, I don't have a problem. No, you're wrong. <laughs> That's textbook classic denial. But there's a lot of other things we say that are, that are just as bad. Uh, we say, you know, eh, this really isn't that big of a deal. You ever use that one? Here's, here's the thing. That's acknowledging that you have a problem. It's not denying the problem, but here's what it's denying. It's denying the enormity of the problem. But it's still denial, right? Eh, it's really not that big a deal. Well, you're in denial. Or how about this one? We talked about it last week. I can handle it, right? Oh, you know, yeah, it's a problem. I get it, but pff, you don't know me, right? I'm good. I can handle it. Really? So again, what that statement, think about it. It acknowledges that there's a problem. Yeah, I get it. There's a, there's a big time problem here. It just denies the controlling nature of the problem. One that's very similar is this. I can quit anytime. Really? You can quit at any time. Oh yeah, I'm strong. I can quit anytime. You know, it's really not that big a deal. I can quit anytime. Have you ever quit? Well, no, I've never quit, but I could quit anytime. You know, like we, again, we fool ourselves. What's, what's denied in all of that? You're denying the frequency. You say, yeah, I, I can quit anytime, but you engage in that behavior like every day. Then you can't, you can't quit anytime. You're in denial. And then kind of where denial ultimately ends, you press far enough, and then somebody's like, well, you know, at least I'm not as bad as some people. And then we move from denial just into, like, justification, right? And, and kind of the, the classic way you say, well, you know, it's not like I'm out here killing anybody, right? Because, because that's the barometer, you know, <laughs> like, because that's the, that's the benchmark, right? No, it, that, just because you're not, okay, well, grant you all the points in the world, you're not a mass murderer. Does that mean that what you're participating in is godly, that God is honored? that kind of behavior all of the classic forms of shifting denial those lines sound exactly like what david said over in psalm 36 when he said again these people flatter themselves too much to detect their own sin 
So as we wind down here and, and, and try and find a place to close, are, <clears throat> are you flattering yourself too much? Are you living in denial, flattering yourself that this really isn't that big of a problem? You know, we may actually begin to believe ourselves if we tell ourselves that line long enough. Because you can't overcome a sin that you can't identify. That's what makes denial so dangerous. It's what makes self-deception such a problem. Identifying the problem is the first step in any kind of recovery program. But when we live in denial, we refuse to basically identify our sin. And I'm just telling you, that is an awfully dangerous place to be. John says in 1 John 1, verse 8, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But let's close with this. There's always hope. Because with Jesus, there's always hope. I want you to know that there is no toxic influence that is so great that it is beyond his ability to cleanse the prayer for this summer is, is going to be on the wall all summer long create in me a clean heart O god create in me a pure heart O god so there's no amount of uncleanliness that is in my life or yours that is beyond his ability to cleanse there's no amount of impurity in my life or in yours that is beyond his ability to purify we can say this a million different ways but the question is do you believe it Will you lie to yourself even now, even as the word of God is standing there in a hundred point font staring you in the face? Will you deny the fact that he can cleanse you? If so, you're not listening to God, you're listening to somebody else. And I say that in love. There is no uncleanliness that is so powerful and so great in our lives that he cannot cleanse. I want you to hear the words of Jesus as we close. John 8, 31, 32. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then he says, then the truth will set you free. There's no self-deception in your heart or mine that is greater than the liberating truth of Jesus. Maybe today you need to confess the name of Jesus for the first time. Maybe you need to be set free from the bondage of sin, including self-deception, but a whole host of other things. If so, I, I, hope, that you will, I hope that you'll step out of that aisle. I hope that you'll walk down here i hope that you'll talk with one of us but it doesn't have to happen right here in fact most people don't want to respond in front of a, a crowd this size most people as they come and they want to put christ on in baptism it's much more private it's, it's much smaller so please know that we stand ready to help in any way if that needs to happen i pray that you would hear the true word of jesus today but maybe today there's some other things going on in your life and some things that you need to share some ways that we can be encouraging you Maybe the scales need to fall off our eyes here today and the Word of God is, is prompting that kind of activity in your life. If so, then you know, we would just love to be praying for you as well. If you have any kind of thing, any need like that that you need to express, I hope that you'll do that. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation together.